Hello, we're back with Medical School with Michaela. Um, The purpose of this episode today is to talk about contraception, which is the 61st chapter of Blueprints for Family Medicine. The goal of this episode is to just give you a good idea of what kinds of contraceptions we can offer patients and also to allow you to have a good understanding of what kinds of contraceptive methods may be tested on um, your shelf exams but also what could be tested on USMLE step two and um, other things that you might come into contact with. So starting with contraception, generally speaking there are a lot of people who use contraception and there are multiple reasons why people would use contraception. They are for preventing unintended pregnancies and there are quite a few unintended pregnancies in the United States but also we can use them for patients who have abnormal bleeding patterns um, and these are both important and so asking a patient what their goals are um, for contraceptive is very important but both of them are valid and both of them are things that need to be understood. So there are a couple of different methods that we'll discuss. We'll discuss natural family planning, barrier methods, steroids, and um, intrauterine devices as well as sterilization and postcoital contraception. Postcoital contraception can fall under intrauterine devices or under steroids, but will uh, fall under preventative measures and then we'll go under um, measures that are used after you have had sex and um, had it without protection. So starting with natural family planning, an important thing to understand is that natural family planning has a lot of different methods, but if you look on the videos for online med ed, he describes these as not measures which can be taken to prevent pregnancy, and instead this is to cause pregnancy. The important thing to understand here is that um, natural family planning can prevent pregnancy, but it is often used in patients who are trying to get pregnant. So having a good understanding of this can be used for both patients who are trying to get pregnant and patients who are trying to avoid pregnancy and for whatever reason don't want to use some other form of contraception. Um, In a patient who is trying to use natural family planning, you must know that they have a regular menstrual cycle and it's because we use the menstrual cycles to come up with how we would do this best. If they don't have a regular menstrual cycle, this is not an option for them. Um, In this method, we assess for any changes in the cervical mucus, so the woman must feel comfortable inserting a finger into the vagina and swabbing um, the mucus around the cervix to assess it. If she's not comfortable with that, that would not be appropriate. We also assess temperature changes, and if she's not willing to assess her temperature changes or is unable to do so for whatever reason, this also wouldn't be a good um, option. Also, ovulation is about 14 days before menses, and so the patient has to abstain from sex during that time. Um, When to avoid intercourse to prevent pregnancy is when the mucus is very thin and copious, so you'd want there to be um, a lot of really thin mucus that's swabbed from around the cervix to determine um, whether or not this would be a good time to have sex. If there is a lot of really thin mucus, it's not a good time to have sex, and that's because um, she would be particularly fertile at that time. And then during ovulation, the temperature uh, would rise by about 0.4 to 0.8 degrees Celsius, and they should avoid um, having sex at that time because they are ovulating. Um, You can also use ovulation predictor kits to see if you are um, ovulating at that time, which would also be a bad time to have sex. But remembering to counsel patients is really important because ovulation predictor kits can be very expensive and these are commonly used um, in patients who are trying to get pregnant. So telling them that there are other ways to measure without necessarily using an ovulation predictor kit is a good idea. This method of natural family planning is not very effective. And um, like we talked about before, this is often used in 
so that patients can get pregnant. Um, talking about this as an option with patients is very useful, but there are other methods that are better if patients are trying to avoid pregnancy. So moving on to barrier methods, there are two types of barrier methods that we talk about, condoms and diaphragms. There are different types of condoms, so there are internal condoms, which are also called female condoms, and then there are external condoms, which tend to be put over people, uh, people's penises, so often men will use the external condom. The internal condoms um, basically are inserted into the vagina, and that allows the woman to be in control of whether or not she is exposed to STIs or to pregnancy. Um, it's non-hormonal. And they also allow there to be um, protection if there are multiple partners or other things that we think about. So perhaps you have a patient who has a, um, a partner who has hepatitis and the patient doesn't want hepatitis, an internal condom may be a good option for her. Um, external condoms, these are worn by people with penis, like we talked about. These are put on um, when sex is being initiated, after the penis um, is no longer flaccid. And they help to prevent pregnancy as well as STIs. Um, also remembering that you have lots of options for patients. So latex condoms are very common, but there are also lambskin and polyurethane condoms, which can be used, especially if patients have an allergy to latex or they'd rather use lambskin for some other reason. Um, we also like to use these along with spermicide to help add a double layer of protection and they can prevent sperm from passing um, if they're using spermicide and they can also... Um, like kill the sperm with the spermicide. The other important thing to know is that with um, internal and external condoms, um, patients have to use them and they have to use them in an appropriate time frame. Um, the other thing to know is that you do often have to stop um, foreplay in order to insert or put on these condoms. And so counseling patients appropriately is a good idea. As far as diaphragms go, um, these are essentially... Um, types of contraception which are fitted um, to a specific woman. They're often done by a family medicine doctor or an obstetrician gynecologist, and they would be fitted to the person. Um, and this is basically inserted into the vagina and it sits around the cervix. It's very similar to a cervical cap, only a bit larger. And um, this has to be fitted either when there is more than a 10 pound weight gain or after pregnancy. And they have to be fitted um, because if there is a 10 pound weight gain or some significant weight loss or pregnancy, there can be changes to uh, the cervix, which could cause them to end up being pregnant. Um, these can be inserted up to six hours before sex is initiated and they have to remain in place six hours after sex so that you're fully protected against both STIs and from pregnancy. These should be used with a spermicide um, to help pre prevent pregnancy. The other thing to note is that um, with diaphragms, um, along with fitting and with condoms, these um, diaphragms can be used with condoms, and we often recommend that a diaphragm is used with a condom so that the um, male partner in the relationship would wear a condom and the female partner would wear a diaphragm to help with extra protection. But with condoms, it's very important to tell patients that two condoms is not better than one. Two condoms is worse than one. So you shouldn't use two condoms. So men shouldn't uh, put on two condoms um, on their penises, and women shouldn't put on an internal condom, and men shouldn't use an external condom at the same time because that can cause there to be friction and tearing within the condom. Condoms and that can uh, cause pregnancy. The next thing that we'll talk about is steroid contraception. So um, there are oral contraceptive pills and these can be um, estrogen or progesterone, uh, estrogen and progesterone or estrogen um, 
or excluding estrogen rather so they're progesterone only pills um however you need to understand there's always going to be some progesterone in these um in a patient who is taking a progesterone only pill specifically they need to be taken 25 hours um, after the last pill we tell patients to take them at the same time every day because they really only have one a one hour window with, in which they would still be protected so if i took a birth control pill at eight o'clock yesterday then eight o'clock a.m then i need to take it at by nine o'clock a.m the following day or else i'm no longer protected but that's just with a progesterone only pill if a patient has um, an estrogen containing pill they do have a longer leeway so if you're telling a patient you need to be taking your birth control pills every day at the same time that especially holds up when you have a progesterone only pill um, if it's estrogen containing they have 48 hours if they miss one and then you would just take two they always need to take two pills if they miss more than one pill and they end up missing two pills and they need to start the pack over again um, because they're no longer protected an important thing that we counsel patients on is that um these are these are contraindicated in women who are over 35 who also smoke um there is a huge um, risk for deep venous thrombosis or DVT in patients who smoke and are over 35 if we give them estrogen, so we may talk about other options. Um, these can also cause um, abnormal bleeding, nausea, vomiting, and weight gain. Um, there can also be some breakthrough bleeding, um, which we need to counsel patients about. It's important to let patients know that um, oral contraceptive pills are not without their own risk, and we do need to talk to patients about these. Um, so don't treat it as if it's benign, because it's definitely not um, benign. There are also Depo-Provera shots. So these are given every three months, um, or they can be given monthly, and they are progestin only. Uh, these are very effective in patients, and uh, the, only contra the only thing that we do need to think about is that um, a patient who's getting a depo shot needs to have them every three months. The other thing that we need to think about with depo shots that's very different from other kinds of contraceptives is that once the medication is in, they still have to have it for 90 days. Um, a lot of other things can be removed if the patient doesn't like the side effects. If you don't like the side effects of depo, you just have to wait for um, it to wear off in three months. So that's very unfortunate. So there are many other options that are available. Um, there are subdermal implants, so all your Planon, so your next Planon, your Implanon, um, those are very useful. They're inserted under the skin and they last up to three years. They're progestin only, so these are a good uh, example if patients are over 35 or if they have a history of DVTs or if they smoke, these are good options for them. However, uh, like all other forms of hormonal contraception, they can cause some breakthrough bleeding, um, and they also provide some systemic uh, problems, so there can be some weight gain. Vaginal rings um, are inserted into the vagina, and they sit there and they release hormones um, around the vagina. Um, these are, um, they release chemicals and they help to prevent pregnancy. However, um, these can fall out and patients sometimes do have partners who can feel um, the rings and they can also be uncomfortable to insert. So counseling patients appropriately about how they are going to have to insert something into their vagina every month um, is going to be important. These also include estrogen and estradiol. So if you have concerns about deep venous thrombosis risk in patients, you may want to avoid these. There are also, um, there's also the patch, which contains both estrogen and progesterone. Um, these are changed weekly and patients have to remember to change it. Um, basically, it just like a lot of other medication patches, these are put onto a fatty part of the body. They release chemicals, the estrogen and progesterone like we talked about, and um, they help to prevent pregnancy. 
However, um, these do allow an option for patients to rip them off um, or a patient's partner can rip them off in a way for contraceptive control or coercion. Moving on to an intrauterine device, um, these can be hormonal or non-hormonal. Um, the hormonal version of these um, are things like uh, Mirena and Liletta and um, Skyla or Kylina, um, and they release progesterone only, and they last a, a different number of years depending on what kind you use. And um, you can look more deeply into what the exact time frame is depending on the um, type that is used. However, the non-hormonal one, um, the copper IUD, will last up to 10 years. Um, these have higher rates of efficacy than sterilizing patients, which means that even if a patient is interested in never having children again, telling them let's do an IUD instead actually is better because um, they fail less frequently than a sterilization fails and there's also less, there's fewer risk factors. Um, the big thing to tell patients is that with a copper IUD, this can cause more abnormal bleeding than a hormonal IUD, and there can also be heavier and um, more painful periods with a copper IUD. However, if a patient has another contraindication for a hormonal IUD, this is a great option, and these also can last longer. So if a patient anticipates that they may not be able to come back in three years or five years or seven years, but they don't want to have any more children or have children during that time frame, a copper IUD may be the best option. Um, neither the hormonal nor the hormonal IUD protects against IUDs. These also can increase the risk of ectopic pregnancy, so patients do need to be warned about this. Um, some studies do indicate that this increases the risk of pelvic inflammatory disease. Personally, I think the jury is still out on those, and we do still um, allow women who have multiple partners to um, have an IUD as well as women who are nulliparous. Um, these can also increase the risk of spontaneous abortion, also known as miscarriage. There can be dysmenorrhea, metarrhagia, and there can be uterine perforation. However, um, while we do counsel patients on these, these are not as these are not very common at all, and many patients tolerate them very well. Moving on to sterilization, um, these are very commonly performed and they're both tubal uh, sterilizations and less commonly we perform vasectomies. Um, however, a family medicine doctor can perform a vasectomy um, or, and it's an outpatient procedure, or um, an OBGYN can perform a tubal sterilization. Um, in the past, we did do a procedure with Esher where we were basically just inserting coils into the um, tubes. This is no longer done, so it is important that even though older versions of family medicine texts will say that this is done, it is not done anymore. And instead, um, commonly what we do for sterilization is we do a salping um, jostomy where basically we just remove the tubes on both sides. Um, you may want to look that up to see if that's actually the name of what it is, but we just remove the tubes on both sides. Um, the important thing to note with this is that patients are still ovulating and so their eggs can end up somewhere else in the body. Um, also, the big thing that we need to note about this is that patients do change their minds. Um, these do have their own risks. And if a patient were to change her mind, pretty much her only option for after she's had her tubes removed is to end up having an IVF procedure, which can be very um, heartbreaking and painful. And personally, as someone who's interested in fertility um, specializing, I have come in contact with patients' charts who they did have a tubal ligation and now they are going back and wanting to have children again. So telling patients if you um, do ever have a situation where things change and you'd like to have more children, you do need to recognize that you may have some significant trouble with that and there are patients that have that. And this is not as efficacious as um, 
inserting an IUD, which is definitely reversible. Um, like we had just talked about, um, vasectomies are, are less common than doing um, sterilization procedures, and they are not immediately effective. And we also need to counsel patients on the fact that these are not immediately effective, they can fail, and it takes several hours for these to be reversed, and it needs to be reversed by a urologist if a patient situation does change. Um, again, patients can have them reversed, but it does take a very long time. And if a patient situation does change and they do end up with a new partner and they need to have, they'd like to have more children, um, either with their current partner or with another partner in the future, they do need to recognize that this is um, going to be very challenging for them. So moving on to postcoital contraception, if a person has unprotected sex um, or something does happen after they have sex, we do have uh, ways to prevent pregnancy. So there can be um, a progestin-only pill, um, Plan B, which basically just screams at the ovaries not to release any eggs. There's also postcoital IUD insertion. You can insert a copper IUD up to five days later after um, uh, the person has engaged in coitus. And then also there's... Um, Orval and lower Orval, which can be given up to 72 hours after unprotected sex. So if a patient does have sex and they forgot to take a birth control pill or their IUD fell or they noticed that their IUD was in the toilet after um, they urinated after having sex, it is important to know that they do have options. And with that, we have talked about all of the things related to contraceptives. I will see you at the next episode. Thank you.